book of Ecclesiastes. If you've never read the book of Ecclesiastes, you're probably in pretty good company. It's in the Old Testament, right after Proverbs. And we are going to start in here in a second on chapter 9, verse 13. Um, we spent quite a few weeks plugging through Ecclesiastes, and I'm, I'm happy to tell you all that next week we will finish Ecclesiastes. One way or the other, we will finish Ecclesiastes. Um, it's nice, though. It's nice to be able to read through all this and not be rushed and just be excited to spend the time reading the Word and learning from the text. So, um, <clears throat> I mentioned in the prayer there that, that death, right? Death has been our continuous theme. Death, 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 over and over again. Um, Kohelet, the author, the, the teacher here, tells us that death is the fate of everyone. And so what is the point of it all? Whether you're wise or whether you're a fool, which he talks about a lot, rich or poor, death is the fate of all of us. And so a lot of people read this kind of with a pessimistic twist to it because they get sick of hearing death, death, death. Vanity, vanity, vanity. So what we've tried to do over the past few weeks is break down that, you know what, it's not just a pessimistic book. There really are some good things and some optimistic things here. And so we're going to see a little optimism. Um, we're going to see some things that may seem a little pessimistic again tonight. But um, just remember, when we talk about the word vanity, we talk about the idea of balance. Um, the actual word being vapor. And vapor is a neutral term. Vapor is neither positive or negative. Vapor is just vapor, neutral. Here in an instant, gone in an instant. Temporary. So so when you read vanity in here, just remember that, that it's temporary. But through all of our temporariness here on earth, we're looking for yatron, that Hebrew word yatron, whatever the gain is that we're going to get here. And so this is what he's, he's done. He's looking for yatron in life. And so we made it through 9-12 last week. And so we just kind of finished off with the idea that um, there is death, but there's also enjoyment in life. And so um, death actually gives us our enjoyment. If we recognize that we're going to die, it makes you really take advantage of the, the time that you have left. So let's start in on 13. We'll read 13 through um, 16, and then we'll pause. <clears throat> so 9.13. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few people in it. A great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. So I said, Wisdom is better than might. Yet the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heeded. <clears throat> I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun. He's examining. He's still in this process of examining all, the, all that happens under the sun. And in it, one of the examples he sees is wisdom. And that's a good thing. Anytime you hear wisdom, wisdom's a positive thing. This is wisdom literature. Wisdom's a good thing. So the fact that he's looked around and found wisdom, well, that to him is great. He tells you it's great. And you're going to see the word great repeatedly here because it's a very key phrase here in these couple, couple verses. So it's great to him, and yet there was a city with but a few people in it. Just a few. And also there was a great king that came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. 
And so kind of picture in your head, right? You get the little town, and then all of a sudden you get this huge, like, ruler coming in and, like, surrounding the town, right? But not to fear, there was found in it a poor, wise man. A poor, wise man is an ironic man. Because based on tradition, a wise man should not be poor. A wise man should be wealthy. Because he's wise. Back to the whole idea of you do good, you get good. Right? This is the Deuteronomistic. Nailed it again, two weeks in a row. This, this tradition of you do good, you abide by the way you're supposed to, abide by the laws, you're going to get good. So if you're wise and you're living the path of the wise, well then it's going to end up well for you. That's what tradition says. And yet here we find this poor, wise man. So he's a bit of an ironic man. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. And so when I read this, I constantly started thinking of like Lord of the Rings. Like, you remember the, the scene in, I think it's the second movie, when they're in Helm's Deep? And like, it's just a few people in Helm's Deep. And like the whole army of like, I don't remember what the army's called, like all the orcs, the army of darkness, that's another movie, but it's like the army of the bad guys, right? And they're like marching on Helm's Deep, and you're like, oh my gosh, there's a bajillion of these orcs, and there's just a few people in Helm's Deep. And yet by their wisdom, right, they're like, they like hold it off for a while. And the other thing I thought of was like the kingdom of heaven. If anybody's seen the kingdom of heaven, that movie, with uh, also with, um, who plays Legolas? Um, also the dude that isn't Orlando Bloom, right? He's in both those movies, that's convenient. I didn't think about that. But uh, the same thing happens at the end of the movie. The, the, like the last fight scene in Kingdom of Heaven is like this huge battle scene where like Orlando Bloom's got to like fend off this like huge army, right? And then the, the last thought that I really thought of on this, the most epic battle between like, you know, the poor wise man versus like the epic like, was Home Alone, right? It's like the ultimate case of like, you got the little kid who, is battling, not that Danny DeVito is any kind of great king, but that's what I thought of when I thought of this. I was like, he outsmarted him. So, so you get the idea that this little poor wise man, right, is fighting off this great power. And yet what happens? Well, no one remembered that poor man. Well, that doesn't seem very right. He should be written down in history books. He should be famous, right? And so Kohelet says, I said to myself, wisdom is better than might. Because of this, wisdom is better than might. This is a better proverb again. We've seen these throughout, better proverbs. This is a book full of a lot of proverbs because, again, it's wisdom literature. So it's a better proverb. Not like better is in like, oh, it's better than another kind of proverb. But like a proverb using the word better. A better proverb. Wisdom is better than might, yet the poor man's wisdom is despised. And his words are not heeded. That might be pessimism. And not pessimism from the idea of like, well, man, what's the point of wisdom? Well, there's a point to wisdom. Wisdom allowed to keep him from being sieged. I think his pessimism here is in humanity. The natural, like, human nature of people, right? Because our hero today we're trampling over him tomorrow. We're fickle, right? Quick, so quickly we turn our cheek to just whatever the next big thing is. And so is wisdom a good thing? Absolutely. It's a great thing. And yet not even wisdom 
can always bring about great value because humans are fickle. And so you kind of start with a positive, and by the end of the paragraph, you end with a little bit of a negative, which brings us to balance, right? We're going to see a lot of balance as we go through here. 17 and 18 are technically part of chapter 9, as you see in your Bible. Um, but, but literally, when you read it, and as we read through 10 as well, you're going to see that it's kind of a jumping off section for chapter 10. So 9, 17, and 18 are kind of like setting the stage and prepping all of chapter 10. So I'm going to read 17 and 18, and then we'll continue on all the way through the end of chapter 10, and then we'll check back. So here we go. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one bungler destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfume's ointment give off a foul odor. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fools to the left. Even when fools walk on the road, they lack sense and show to everyone that they are fools. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your post, for calmness will undergo great offenses. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as great an error as, it is, as if it proceeded from the ruler. Folly is set in my high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horseback and princes walking on foot like slaves. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stone will be hurt by them, and whoever splits logs will be endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not wet the edge, then more strength must be exerted. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the snake bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage in a charmer. Words spoken by the wise bring them favor, but the lips of fools consume them. The words of their mouths begin in foolishness, and their talk ends in wickedness, wicked madness. Yet, no, yet, yet fools talk on and on. No one knows what is to happen, and who can tell anyone what the future holds? The toil of fools wears them out, for they do not even know the way to town. Alas for you, O land, when your king is a servant and your prince feasts in the morning. Yet happy are you, O land, when your king is a nobleman and your prince feasts at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Feasts are made for laughter. Wine gladdens life, and money meets every need. Do not curse the king even in your thoughts, or curse the rich even in your bedroom. For a bird of the air may carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Do you follow all that? You read through it and you're like, what in the heck is he talking about? He's kind of all over the place. <clears throat> it's kind of a breakdown of a bunch of different little, here, here's, your, here's your seminary word for the day, pericopes. Nope, nope, just a bad word. Um, little segments, right? Like little little pieces that are thrown together. And it kind of doesn't seem like they really have a lot to tie together. But as we kind of pour through these, you're going to see that there is a little bit of inter- intertwining here. Some of it doesn't just, it just seems like somebody threw it in there. But, uh, but you're going to see that there's actually some, some meaning here. So here we go. We're going to jump back to 17, 917. 
The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouting of a ruler among fools. This isn't a new idea. He's talked about this before. Fools just talk and talk and talk, and they yell and they scream and like they just do whatever they can to get people to listen to them. But the wise, on the other hand, they let their words be few. They're very precise with their words. So you kind of put a plus there, right? Like it's a good thing if you're wise and you're using quiet words. Wisdom is better. Here we are, better again. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one bungler destroys much good. These are actually both better proverbs. Even though 17 doesn't use the word better, it's set up as a better proverb. And here in 18, wisdom is better than weapons of war, just as we saw above, right? But one bungler destroys much good. I had to look up what a bungler was. It's kind of a fun word. You can use that as somebody to disgrace to call people now. You're a bungler. It's somebody who's incompetent, or like their ways lead to incompetence. You're a bungler. Silly. One bungler destroys much good. One person who is incompetent. One person who is finds himself among folly. Right? Fools. Folly. Like incompetence. Well, that destroys much good. When I read this, I thought, my dad used to always tell me that you spend weeks and months when you're married building up brownie points. And then one bad thing, they're all gone. One incompetent act. One step into folly, and there go all your brownie points. All that stockpile, gone. So this, this introduction here of 17 and 18 is the idea that, yes, wisdom is good, wisdom is great, but it's also vulnerable. Wisdom is vulnerable. Because too easily we can step into folly and it all goes away. And so all of chapter 10 is built on this premise, starting with, with verse 1 here. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a foul odor. Well, that's fun. The perfumer's ointment. Perfume, right? It smells good. It's a luxury. I'm reminded of like when the lady came in and broke the, the ointment on Jesus' feet, right? Like, and began to wash his feet with her hair. Like, it's a, it's a luxury. It's something that is valuable. And yet something as simple, as insignificant as a fly, and a dead fly at that, well, that can ruin, can contaminate something that's so luxurious like perfume. And so he's going to use nature a couple different times here, like these insignificant things, like, like he says a fly here, and then he references snakes, and then he references a bird. Something so insignificant can just ruin something so great. And so he says, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. And that's kind of sad. That's kind of depressing as well because you want to think that wisdom is going to win out. But this is a warning. This is kind of a caution. You've got to be careful. Verse 2. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. And this time, right is the, the way of power, the way of strength. And that's the way the wise heart goes. But, but the, the heart of the fool... Well, they, they can't even get that right. 
they're not even sure which way they're supposed to be going. And so they continue to move toward the left. So they're completely headed in the wrong direction. And even more, when fools walk on the road, they lack sense and show to everyone that they are fools. I think this is my favorite verse in this. When fools walk on the road, walk being like, not literally like when they walk on the street, well, literally yes, when they walk on the street, but even more like their lifestyle, like the way they live. They lack sense. They're stupid, right? Like they're just, they lack sense. And beyond that, they show it to everybody. They're not hiding it from anybody. I immediately thought of social media. And there's no better time than election time, right? Folks just want to shout it to everybody. Their thoughts, their opinions, every, they broadcast it. Right? They're not quiet. They're not careful with their words. They're broadcasting it to everybody. And Kohelet here, Ecclesiastes here, tells us, well, that's the way of the fool. So don't look at me. Don't blame me. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. So now when people do that, you can call them a fool and then say the Bible told you so. Verse 4. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your post. For calmness will undergo undo great offenses. This is kind of a reference to an earlier idea as well. If anger of the ruler... Again, the ruler is the one that has the power. So if, if the ruler, the one that has the power rises against you, well, that's a bad thing because the ruler has the power. But don't leave your post. Don't go running and like join forces against him because that's going to result even worse. Don't plot a coup against the ruler at this point. That's what fools do. The wise practice calmness because calmness combats the rise of somebody who is angry, right? There's balance again. How do you calm somebody down when they're angry? You practice calmness. Okay, so there's kind of the end of one little pericope. Um, And you're seeing kind of these contrasting ideas, right? Stop, Stop using the word pericope. It sounds funny. Okay. One little segment. You like segment better? Is that good? Okay. Um, And there's these contrasting ideas. And so we continue on. We started with this greatness that he had seen under the sun, and now we progress to, there is an evil that I have seen under the sun. As great an error as if it proceeded from the ruler. Is this the same ruler he's just talking about? He doesn't say. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in low place. I have seen slaves on horseback, and princes walking on foot like slaves. Well, that seems backwards. That's counter to the way... It's supposed to be. Because, again, right? The ruler, power, they sit up top. They're up high. They're on the horse. Slaves are the ones that walk. That's what he's seeing here. And so he's addressing this idea that, well, things aren't quite the way they should be. And I think this is just a little bit of a reminder that the present order, kind of the social social norm, the social relations, again, very easily, it's vulnerable. It can be flipped flipped. Just like that. One step into folly, and it all changes. Next segment. Verse 8. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it. Well, that's fun. The The word for will here, um, 
it's better, it's an imperfect verb, and the better, the better use of it is probably may fall into a pit. Because I can dig a pit and maybe not fall into it. But I can dig a pit and maybe fall into it. So, so rather than having it be so certain, whoever digs a pit will fall into it, we're going to include the word may here instead. So whoever digs a pit may fall into it. And whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Which is kind of random. But here's the idea. When you dig a pit, you could fall into it. And when you fall in a pit, you can die. And when you break through a wall, why he picks the idea of a snake, I have no idea. But, but yeah, that could happen. Again, caution, right? These are caution. You're vulnerable. Even in the daily things that you do. He doesn't stop here. Whoever queries stone, whoever's out picking up stone, well, they may be hurt by that. That rock could fall on them. That's a viable option. And even more, whoever splits logs, well, they may be endangered by those logs because when you split a log, when you cut a tree down, well, that tree falls, right? If you're a lumberjack, right? It's a lumberjack. That's fun. Trees fall on lumberjacks. It happens. That's a possibility. Everyday tasks. And you, this may seem silly because, well, I'm not a lumberjack and I don't pick up rocks for a living. I don't even break through walls thinking that snakes are going to bite me. But, but the idea is, is the meaningless, like the, the just everyday tasks you do. I'm driving home. Oh, I dropped my phone on the ground. I'm going to reach over and grab it. It was just a split second, and yet, boom. Little things, right? I mean, during the hurricane, like, a dude was just walking in New Jersey, and a tree fell on him. Like, these things happen. They may happen. You're vulnerable. And that's what you got to realize. You're vulnerable. If the iron is blunt... Verse 10. And one does not wet the edge. If you haven't sharpened the edge of it, then more strength must be exerted. Well, yeah, that's common sense, right? If your knife isn't very sharp, you have to like, cut harder. You have to give more, more power into it to cut things. If the snake bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage in the charmer. You had one job, and that was to charm that snake. And you did a bad job because somebody got bit. It doesn't tell us who got bit, whether it was the charmer or whether some dude was just sitting around watching the charmer, like, you know, charm the snake. The snake charmer had one point, one purpose, charm that snake. And he failed. And somebody got bit. Why did they get bit? We don't know. Maybe the, the, the charmer just like for an instant stepped into folly, wasn't paying attention, whatever it was. That quickly, and boom, you lost it. We're vulnerable. Verse 12, words spoken by the wise bring them favor, but the lips of fools consume them. They don't, we don't know who them is. Words spoken by the wise bring them, as in the wise, favor, potentially, or the hearer favor, potentially, but the lips of fools consume them. The fools or those who hear them? Yes. You can say yes to both of them and it works. It's back to words though, the tongue, right? There's power. Like fools do it one way, wise people do it the other way. 
which way are you going to do it? The words of their mouths begin in foolishness, and their talk ends in wicked madness. The entire time, all they do is talk, 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 right? Yet fools talk on and on and on, and all it is is foolishness. Babble, babble, babble. I say this as I'm standing here for 35 minutes talking and talking and talking, right? Sorry, not babble. Babel. They just babble on and on and on. Talk. And they think they know it all. In fact, he goes on to say, they think they even know the future. They think they know what the outcome is. But he says, no one knows what is to happen. And who can tell anyone what the future holds? You want to know how to tell who a fool is? Those people who start telling you what's going to happen in the future. Because who can tell, who can know those things? That's proof of a fool. That's how fools talk. Verse 15. The toil, the work of fools wears them out. Why does it wear them out? Because all they do is talk. They won't shut up. Eventually you get exhausted. They're not sharp, right? They're like that piece of iron that wasn't sharpened. They have to exert more energy because all they do is talk. And so they're worn out. They're exhausted. Even to the point where they don't even know their way to town. That's a random metaphor, if that's what it is. I don't even know what it is. But I've got to think that if you don't know your way to town, you're not going to live very long. Because town's where you go to buy things. And when you buy things, that's what sustains you in living, right? You buy food. If you don't know where you're town, well, then you're a fool because you're going to die. Because you can't eat. So that's how foolish they are. All right, in that segment, go on to the next one. Alas for you, woe to you, O land, when your king is a servant. When your king is, if you look at your little footnote there, is a child or a young man. And your prince feasts in the morning. And yet happier are you, O land, when your king is a nobleman. Why is it bad if the king is a servant or a child or a young man? Foolish? Yeah, the, the idea here, of a, that's why it's kind of a vague word. Because if you hear servant and you hear child, well, those are two very different things. The idea is immaturity. When a king is immature, well, then you don't really trust the king to make good choices. Because how do they know? And your prince feasts in the morning. Who feasts in the morning? Well, I like to feast in the morning because I love breakfast. But that's not the point. When the priest feasts in the morning, that means they're so consumed in gluttony, they don't even wait to dinner to have their huge feast where they're, like, they're getting crazy. They start in the morning. right? If you don't start drinking in the morning, you can't drink all day. That's how they live. That's how the prince lives here. And so woe to you, O land. Who said that the Bible wasn't relevant for today, right? That's a boulevard theme. Nice. Welcome to SMU. <laughs> Happy are you, O land, when your king is noble man, when he's a free man, because he has wisdom, and your prince feasts at the proper time. Your prince knows the appropriate time to do things. And not only does he know the appropriate time, but he does it for the right reasons. He feasts for the idea of strength, right? Sustenance, food. That's why he eats and has a feast. Not for drunkenness. 
junk on food. Like it comes with this idea of a huge feast, continual feast. And then he throws in kind of a random proverb here. Through sloth, the roof sinks in. And through indolence, the house leaks. Sloth. Lazy. Not like the thing that Kristen Bell loves. Not like the little animals. Sloth being like laziness. Through laziness, the roof sinks in. Begins to bow in. You're not taking care of it. And through indolence, well, that's when the house starts to leak. It's all falling apart on you. And why? Because you're lazy. And you may not be lazy all the time. But maybe even just like that one instant. Oh, I was supposed to go fix the roof. But I decided to take a nap instead. Oh, but now, well, the roof's bowing in. And what happens after that? Well, then it starts to leak. And it just compiles. One time, like, folly sneaks in very quickly. You're vulnerable. Vulnerable. And again, back to, back to verse 1. A little folly outweighs much wisdom and honor. Just a little bit. You can't let your guard down for a second. 19. Feasts are made for laughter. Wine gladdens life. And money meets every need. This is pretty similar to the, the, the verses in the past where he said, like, all of this vanity in life, all of this up and down, and yet you have one th- your task in life is to enjoy life. Eat, drink, and be merry, right? And we're going to skip this for a second and come back to it. I want to finish verse 20, and then we're going to come back to verse 19. 20 says, Do not curse the king even in your thoughts, or curse the rich even in their bedroom in your bedroom, or their bedroom, either one would be a bad choice. For a a bird of the air may carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. I don't know any birds that carry words. I'm assuming this is a metaphor as well, with the idea that you can't even think it, much less speak it in the intimacy of your own bedroom. Because it's going to get out. And when it gets out, it's not going to be good. It's kind of like like Jenga, right? One false move, and the whole thing comes tumbling down. One foul step into folly, and it all comes crashing down. So don't even, don't even flirt with it. It's just not worth it. Okay, verse 19. <clears throat> I thought this was really interesting. Again, it's kind of thrown in the middle amongst all this. Uh, I mean, he's talking about feasting in the morning versus waiting to the proper time and like why you're feasting and all that stuff. And he says, feasts are made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money meets every need. Money meets every need. Every need being that like you can't feast or have wine gladden your life if you don't have money. So money meets every need of both of these things, of feasting and of gladdening life with wine. And so if I, if I talk to you about feasting or the idea of wine, does it spark anything in your minds? Feasting, bread, wine, the bread and wine. It, somebody, I heard it. Communion, yes, thank you, good. Whew, I got nervous there. How interesting if you think of this verse 
every time you practice communion. I think often we, we've, we've kind of lost track of what communion is. And this is, this is Phil's confession time. I get frustrated a lot of times being ushered down an aisle, taking a little wafer in a little sippy cup, and then having that be communion. And granted, like, this is how we've chosen to do it as a church. But I get frustrated with it. And I'll tell you why I get frustrated with it. If, if you want to flip in your Bible, flip to 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. Most of y'all who, who were here for um, when we covered Philippians know how I feel about Paul. But I think he's pretty spot on here. Um, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. And it reads as follows. Now in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. Indeed, there have to be factions among you, for only so will it become clear who among you are genuine. But when you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper. For when the time comes to eat, each of you goes ahead with your own supper, and one goes hungry, and another becomes drunk. What? Do you not have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I commend you? In this matter, I do not commend you. For I received from the Lord what I also handed down to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. For laughter. Right? Back to Ecclesiastes. The feast is for laughter. This is my body that is broken for you. For laughter. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For it gladdens your life. The blood, the cup, the wine gladdens your life. And I would do that in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord is an unworthy manner, in an unworthy manner, will be an, uh, answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. And so examine yourselves, and only then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For all who eat and drink without discerning the body, eat and drink judgment against themselves. For this reason, many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. And finally, so then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If you are hungry, eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for your condemnation. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body, for the laughter, and for the blood, for the 
gladness of the Lord. And yet money provides all the needs here. Without being a complete heretic and totally just throwing the sacrament aside. There's a huge social aspect to this. You want to talk about power, right? People who could very easily be eating at home decide to come and eat all the food. And when those who come to be a part of the Lord's Supper, well, it's already been eaten. They don't get to partake in the laughter and in the gladness. So think about that when you go to take communion next time. Right? It says discern the body. You may just be eating a little piece of bread or a little wafer or something like that. But how many times are you going to eat that day? And in fact, he says, every time you take of this cup and eat of this bread, What if every time you picked up a piece of bread, every meal you sat down to, every time you drank from a cup, that was running through your mind? I have the opportunity to eat this right now. Who's, who's not getting that opportunity? You want to talk about the Eucharist coming real, real fast? And I don't say this to like make y'all just like feel walk out feeling guilty, like because I fully believe that it should be the feast of laughter and wine that gladdens our heart. Right? We talked a couple weeks ago that Jesus came saying that I come to bring you life and not just any life, life abundant. Gladness, laughter. All that through a little bread and a little wine. There's power in communion. Physically, right? Giving us sustenance. And spiritually. Because it's partaking of the Holy Spirit. We're not going to get into a whole sacramental breakdown here. But just think about that. Recognize that the next time you take communion. Let it challenge you and let it remind you to discern your body for the privilege you have every time you take a bite. Let's pray. Oh God, we are thankful for your wisdom. And just like Ecclesiastes, we continue to seek it out. Wanting to know more what we can gain here in this life, but what there is beyond this life as well. And again, we trust that your love is ever-present now and is going to ever-sustain us then as well. God, may we ever feast with laughter in much gladness, giving thanks for that which has been provided for us. Because we know that you are the creator and all things have been provided by you. May we never take advantage of that. 
May we celebrate that feast with friends as well as with strangers. Recognizing your kingdom here. Building your kingdom here. We pray that every time we partake in the feast, it would be incarnational. We would come to know your son, Jesus Christ. And we would be moved by the power of your Holy Spirit. We give you thanks for that bread. We give you thanks for that wine. And we give you thanks for life. And we give you thanks that death gives meaning to this life. We pray these things this evening in the name of Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.